This is Empowered Human Academy. Welcome home. We're here to create a life that feels like ours, one that calls us onward and upward because we are living as ourselves, fully and only. I'm Isaac. And I'm Abe. These conversations are where we explore what it means to be alive and how to stay close to that aliveness with every breath. So, with hearts wide open, let's begin. Hello, beautiful humans, and welcome back. We are unbelievably happy that you're here. Today, we're in conversation with Amanda N. Ewing, a Nashville-based luthier, which means she's a violin maker. Amanda's been apprenticing with her teacher and making violins since 2018 and is the first black female luthier on record. Let's take a second to set the stage on what goes into violin making, because it is a process. On average, it takes around 250 hours and about 56 parts to make a violin. And Amanda's not only keeping a highly detailed art form alive, she's also changing the trajectory of a field that's been strategically exclusive to white males for 500 years. Throughout this conversation, we discuss pursuing joy as a pathway to purpose, making your own space for what you want to do in the world, staying grounded in the midst of what you cannot control, using your platform for representation, existing in a space of allowance, and co-creating with your life. The way Amanda describes what she's here to do transcends her craft. The expansive vision she holds for creating more inclusive tables for people who've been historically excluded is so powerful, and we're thrilled for you to be energized by her light. So, let's get into it. Hey everyone, welcome back to Empowered Human Academy. Today we are joined by Amanda Ewing, who was once an internet stranger, <laughs> is now hopefully a friend. Hello, welcome to our podcast, a space where we explore everything from intentional living to art to everything. And we're just so excited to have you. How's it going? It's going. I'm recovering from being away. It hasn't stopped, but you know what? It, that's okay. I will schedule in rest in a couple of weeks. So I'm excited to be here. <laughs> I'm excited for the reason that you went, and we'll get into that in a second. But I'm so excited to talk to you. Uh, the way that we <laughs> open up all of these episodes is with a question of identity and not necessarily the way you introduce yourself, not necessarily the roles that you carry around, not necessarily what's on your social media profile. But it might be all those things. When you come home and it's just you being you and you don't have to be anything for anybody, what words of identity feel like you? God, I've never been asked that question. But one of the meditations that I do to not to be kind of locked into any sort of identity is just an I am. So when I come home, hmm. I, I am. Hmm. Period. <laughs> so I like that because I, I'm a mom, but I'm not only a mom. I mean, I'm a violin maker, but I'm not <laughs> only that. I'm a friend, but I'm not only a friend. I'm a lover of self, but I'm not only a lover of self. So I, I like to yeah. leave the evolution open. So I love the I am, and that's all. Yeah. Hmm. What does that feel like, like holding that idea? It feels like freedom because hmm. oftentimes in the world, what we do is who we are. And so then if you do something outside of that, it's not accepted because we have been put into this little bubble of being X, Y, or Z. And so I'm just so open. I, I feel a lot more comfortable with kind of leaving space, always leaving space. And so today I may be a violin maker and tomorrow I may be a chef and the next day I may be a professional dancer. So I just am. And usually what the am comes after that is whatever feels good. 
Yeah. Hmm. Wow. Whatever feels good. Okay. So talk to me about like your now, like whether that's this week or this month or this moment right now, like what comes after the I am part? What are you right now? Right now I am a mom. And, and one thing that's so interesting is that before my job position was eliminated in 2017, I really wanted mm. to be available 100% for my kids. And there was a time in my life where if they woke up and they had a tummy ache, they would get medication and go to school because mommy had to go mm. to work and daddy had to go to work. And so after it was eliminated, I thought this is the opportunity to be able to show up for them 100%. I don't want any more than that. I don't want to send my children to school and they don't feel good. I want them to know that they can take a yeah. pause if their body is asking for it because it's not feeling well. So I love the fact that my son mm. can say, my tummy is hurting and I just need to rest. And then I can say, okay. So I love the fact that this morning I was able to be the mom that I've always wanted to be. And that's one that says, if you don't feel well, fine. We're staying home today. Yeah. You talked about 2017, your job being eliminated. And we know a little bit about your work because of the internet, but we really wanted this conversation to serve as kind of a space to explore what that has meant to you, how it's changed your life, who you are because of it, um, and all the things, kind of like you said, it's not just one thing. Mm -hmm. So talk to me a little bit about like the transition between a traditional job and then the stuff that you're doing now in 2017. What did that look like? Kind of share the journey if you don't mind. Yes. In 2017, well, I worked in hospitality at the same company. I don't know if you're familiar with Opryland, but the Grand Old Opry and Opryland Hotel, mm. maybe, maybe not. And so um, sure. I worked there for about 16 years and I like working, but I didn't see myself really in hospitality. But my boss was just a completely dope human being. And she understood that we are traveling through this space. And so she understood that we're not all going to stay and retire from the company. She was also a mother. And so she got when, you know, I, one of my kids had a skin rash for a week and I had to be away. And I finished college when I was there working with her. And so what made it bearable was really working with her with me trying to figure out what I wanted to do. That took a very long time and I actually still didn't figure it out. Um, I wanted to get into a nonprofit, but it was so challenging because I was trying to get into it. I didn't have any experience, but I did do a lot of volunteer work. So I kind of had experience. Mm -hmm but that wasn't good enough. So I was like, forget you all then. So I was just hanging out there with my boss and doing the work and trying to expand as much as I could there. And mm -hmm. a couple of things happened in Nashville, 2010, there was a flood. Then there was like a going to be a hostile takeover for the company. So they sold the brand to Marriott. And then within that time, there was a lot of top executives disappearing. And so I knew change was happening, but we really didn't feel it in our department. Then I went on vacation at the same time my boss went on vacation. I came back, she didn't, no one knew where she was, but when she leaves, she oh, wow. tells everybody where she is because that's the type of woman she was. She's like, yeah, I'm going to the beach. Ha, I'm going here, I'm going there. So we always know where she was, but <laughs> no one knew. So I was like, what is going on? So we were on text, basically. And so I tried to text her. She didn't respond. And then about a week later, she had been let go after 35 years. And so I was thinking, oh, wow. 
I'm going to be leaving soon too, because, you know, mm-hmm. she was very flexible with me and with a lot of individuals there because she understands that even though we're working, life happens. And so I thought, oh my God, what am I going to do with myself? But I didn't have to do that because the universe stepped in and said, hey, we're going to eliminate your job position and give you a great severance. I was like, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. I was so excited about it. And I know in the meeting, you know, when the department heads are there, they probably thought I was a psychopath, but I was just like, It was such a blessing for me because I didn't know what to do next. I had the opportunity to leave gracefully. I didn't have to rush and find a new job because I had been working there for so long. Mm -hmm. I pretty much had about a year's worth of pay, but then I'd end up taking two years off because still I was trying to figure it out. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't easy breezy. I still had my moments where I was like in the bed eating Fruit Loops, trying to figure out what I was going to do next with my life. Mm -hmm. And I didn't have the answers. There was a lot of things that I really stopped me whenever you want to, because I can go on forever. Okay. (laughs) I love this. Cool. Deal. I didn't have the answer and I was just watching a lot of Netflix and trying to figure out what I was going to do next. And I I realized I didn't also have a lot of experience in a lot of things. So I I wasn't sure if I was marketable. Mm -hmm. And so I stumbled upon Tony Robbins, I am not your guru. And so I had just finished a yoga teacher training. So guru Mm -hmm. was in my atmosphere. So I was like, what is he talking about? And so I watched it and he's a motivational speaker. He was having his date with destiny. I think it was called. And mm-hmm. in one of his speakings, he asked the audience, what's an extraordinary life look like to you? And so I thought, Hmm, that's a question I've never kind of heard posed that way. So I paused it and I was thinking about it for a moment. And so, you know, if you think about things too long, the critic comes in and tells you, you know, whatever you're thinking is wrong. You can't mm-hmm. do that. You don't have that experience. So I was like, okay, I'm not going to allow the critic to take over this moment. So I got up out of my bed cause I was in the bed. I have a whiteboard in my room. So I start writing down all the things that I would love to do in life. And so I had on there dancing more. I had traveling. I had eating food. I had photography. I don't even take pictures except with my iPhone. I had playing the violin again. And I just thought, yeah, doing all these things would be great. I would just, I would love it. It'd make me get up and excited about the day. And I started looking at them more and I was like, Mm. but how can I feed myself and my family with all of these kind of seemingly random things? Yeah, yeah. So I really didn't know. I didn't have the answer immediately, but I had I could afford not to have the answer immediately. So I decided to pursue all those things, get back into dancing, Mm. travel more, find a place to play the violin, randomly got hired to do photography for like this sports kids thing. (laughs) It was so random. (laughs) I love that your response to the space to explore and the list of things. I love that your response was, okay, all of it. Great. Here we go. All of it, like all the things that I love. So basically, you know, I was trying to figure it out and put a title to it because we like to label things, right? And I think that in some ways that's great, but some ways not so great because it can lock us in. And so mm-hmm. instead of looking at myself being all over the place, because that's usually what people say, like you're all over the place. I realized that all of the things that I loved really sat underneath one umbrella and that umbrella was joy because all of those things <sighs> brought me joy. And so I was like, then that means I'm pursuing joy. That's what my pursuit is. I don't know what comes after that, but on the journey, 
think I heard Kobe Bryant once say, the journey is the dream. So the journey, mm. I'm going to pursue joy and I'm going to enjoy the journey. Destination may change along the way. I don't know what the destination is going to look like, but I'm living for the journey. Yeah. Okay. So I'm so happy. So you did all that. That's amazing. So you were doing all these things. What was it like transitioning into the journey of joy? And what were you learning about yourself? How did you land on violin making? All that. Yeah. So I just thought, you know, it was still scary. It wasn't all bubble gum and, and chocolate mints and which is my favorite chocolate mint together. It wasn't all of that. You know, I still knew that the clock was ticking and I was going to have to find something a bit more sustainable. I mean, when you're having a really good time, time flies. And so time was flying. and I was like, holy crap, you know, out of my last check is coming. A part of that, when I started playing violin again in, here in Nashville, in that group, there was the luthier. And so when mm. I went to the first couple of sessions, he wasn't there. He only came once a month to maintenance the instruments. And so before he mm. arrived, I was talking to people in the group because I had a student violin and it's what everyone buys when you first start to play, right? So it's a student violin from about seven years ago, but it just sounds like crap. I mean, it's usually factory made, doesn't have a lot of love and and energy into it, but you don't know if you're going to stick with it. So you buy something that's a hundred dollars versus something that's two or $3,000. Yeah. Mm The woman was telling me, she was like, yeah, you don't like the sound of your instrument. Well, we have an instrument maker as a part of the group. Maybe you can talk to him. Maybe you can have an instrument made for you. I was like, what? People are making instruments? I don't know where I thought they were coming from. Like maybe somebody snapped their fingers (laughs) and an instrument appeared. But I didn't realize that. I mean, I knew it was wood. I knew it was cars, but I just didn't have the experience enough to see someone sitting at a desk and carving it themselves. Mm -hmm. And so that kind of blew my mind a bit. And I thought, okay, I'm going to ask him. I was afraid to ask him, you know, a lot of times art with different type of folk artists are. So I wasn't sure Sure. if he was going to be like, you know, don't ask me about that peasant person. But I was like, you know what, what can I lose? You know, I was really in my year of yes and my year of exploration. So if you're going to be mean to me, then fine. Karma will handle you later and I'm going to keep it. So so he came in the third Saturday and I saw him and I was really scared. And he had this big dog, white uh, German shepherd. And I was like, oh my God, it's going to protect him from my amateur questions. And I allowed him to sit (laughs) down and get settled and put out all his tools and everything was just so It was magical to me. I'd never seen it before. Just envisioning what he would do with those tools. I was like, ooh, I've never seen that tool before. And so when he looked like he was in a really good space and settled, I walked over there and I introduced myself and I just started asking him about, I heard you were a violin maker. I've never heard of that. And I have a student instrument and I would love to have an instrument that sounded better. You know, I didn't have the verbiage on how I wanted it to sound, but it just mature. It sounds rich, kind of like a grandmother. Mm. We started talking about it and his answers to my questions were very open-ended, meaning not shut up, move on, more so as ask Mm. more questions. What else can I tell you about it? And so I love willow trees. I've always loved willows and weeping willows. And I was like, you know, what kind of woods can you put into it? Can any wood be placed into it? And we started talking about that for a little bit. And then I was just like, well, 
can I have a hand in it? Just to, you know, like, just to say I had a hand in it. So like, whatever, mm, it doesn't yeah, even yeah. matter what it is. If I just place something on it, I'd be fine. And I was like, is that even possible? That would be really good bragging rights. And so he's like, yeah, I think that you could, there's something that you can do to it to have a hand in it. And I was like, that's really cool. Well, we continued to talk and he was just like, you know, it's really, there's a lot of small steps and he said, it would be really cool if you kind of got just a general overview of what it looks like to make a violin. And I thought, I love where this is going. So cool. I was like, I'm not doing nothing else. I've just been laid off. <laughs> and so, <laughs> sure, I could do that. Wow. But you know how a lot of people kind of say certain things kind of in our society. Sure. We say things in the moment. They feel good. There's no sure, real sure, follow totally. through. So I had the time. It was on going to be on a Sunday. My kids were not in school, you know, so I had the time and the flexibility. But, you know, I wasn't really sure if he meant it. So I agreed and I I can't remember how we, if we exchanged information, I just really can't remember, but I do remember within weeks going out to the shop and going out to the shop, Mm. which is an hour and 20 minutes outside of Nashville. That's where I live. And I went out to the shop and I really just didn't know what to expect. I just showed up. You know, the only thing that I could do at that moment was show up. So I (laughs) showed up and I walked in and I saw you know, these instruments, you know, partially finished and tools and, and the first conversation we kind of just were just talking about it. And I left there with the most massive headache because, you know, there's so many different specialties that go into violin making. You don't have to know them all, but my teacher knows a big deal. He knows botany, understands the history of trees and machine. He's a machinist. Wow. It goes all the way that far back. Okay. It's great to understand the characteristic of trees and how they respond in certain environments because you have to, now I can sound smart, there's (laughs) certain things that you will do if you're creating in a very human environment versus if you're creating in a dry Mm. environment because the wood is going to respond to it. And so I didn't know that, you know, growth and how the wood grows and a lot of things. And so when artists have all of these skill sets and they're trying to explain they all come out at once and i'm just like it's like mm-hmm. information that. waterboard and i'm just like i can't take anymore mm-hmm. and then it's a different math too metric you know here we're used to doing with i think empirical if that's what it's called but you know we're dealing with millimeters and that's new to me as well and so mm-hmm. you know i was like i'm glad i'm just you know doing this for fun because this seems like it's <laughs> really challenging and you start questioning whether or not like I have learned about myself as I say yes and then I freak out once I do it because I'm like what did I get myself into and I thought that I thought you know what did I get myself into however it still was very interesting and I was having a good time and so I wanted just to continue Mm -hmm. on I wasn't doing anything else and I was enjoying it so I continued to go every Sunday until now Hmm. Until now. Wow. Okay. So, so what span of time has that been then? It's three years. Three years. Wow. So 2018, okay, 2019, cool. 2020, well, three plus. It's going into my fourth. Yeah. Wow. So you know about yourself that you say yes, and then you freak out, and, and then <laughs> three years. Like, How do you describe what happens after the freak out? As was illustrated here, maybe it's a whole pattern for you. What's this three years been like? It has been a roller coaster because... You know, in the beginning, I was really doing it for me. 
right? Because I chose joy. So I'm doing all the things that will bring me joy. And then I feel like once you're simmering joy, more things that bring you joy come into your space. And so it's a crazy way to live. (laughs) But I was like, yeah, you know, just joy coming from everywhere. Why not? And so shortly into it, I realized, because I did it for selfish reasons, right? It was all about me. I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do. So it was me, 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 me. And I was trying Mm -hmm. to figure it out. It wasn't very long after we began and I continued to enjoy it. Great teacher, mm-hmm. just very motivating, very, you can do this. It's going to take more than a day. You've never done this before. Mm-hmm. It's okay if you cut yourself. Just don't continue to cut yourself. <laughs> you know, the mistakes <laughs> are okay. It's a part of the process. All the reassurance allowed for a safe space to learn, even though you're coming yeah. in mm-hmm. an infant in this environment. And so mm-hmm. it wasn't until maybe three or four months into it that I realized that this was way bigger than just little old me pursuing joy because there was a local mm. reporter who wanted to do a story on myself and my teacher. So I was like, okay, cool. Mm. He's been doing this for 25 plus years. So yeah, I'll sit there like a lump on a log while he's explaining all the details because mm-hmm. I I just arrived, so I don't know anything. And so the reporter was like, yeah, well, yeah. they want to hear your perspective. I'm like, what perspective? I don't have one. Like, I just started. So I was really scared, <laughs> and I didn't understand yeah. why they wanted to talk to me. My teacher and I were mm-hmm. talking a little bit, and he was like, you know, you're probably going to be the perhaps known first black female luthier. I was like, no, that there's no way that could be. Mm. So I was like, I'm going to talk to the Oracle that is Google and I'm going to find all the black luthiers that have come before me, female, and I will show you, right? Because I have those mad internet searching skills. I searched and I couldn't find anyone. And I thought, this is strange. I just thought it was so strange. Mm. And then that was like hindsight. So moving forward, this woman... This story Hmm. was about a female black luthier. That was the story because it's not heard of. Mm -hmm. And so I thought it was such a huge seed being planted because what a wonderful opportunity to Hmm. change the trajectory of this field forever. Yeah. Hmm. What a wonderful opportunity (laughs) to add representation to a field that has been strategically exclusive to white males Hmm. for 500 years. Wow. And you wouldn't even think of that because when you're like holding a violin, you wouldn't even think that. And I think that's really powerful, kind of the arc of the story of just like how you moved into this situation and this new life for yourself. And now you're kind of handed, the universe has handed you this like beautiful gift slash opportunity slash like overwhelming state of being kind of because it's so new and revolutionary. I'm just trying to wrap my head around it. It's really cool. Okay. So we've talked about like the joy coming from in and from all angles. You chose this for, for reasons that were your own related to yourself with the realization that this is a bit of a milestone in like a larger timeline, not just your own, what did that transition feel like? It, like, did the joy change flavor, if I can put it that way? Like, how how does it? Did it feel heavier? Did it feel, or did it feel uh, lighter? More because, exciting. Yeah. How, how, how does it feel? 
Yeah, it was like fuel to the fire. It was like an explosion because I've kind of found myself in this situation before. I was a gymnast for 10 plus years and every gym that I went to, I was the only black gymnast. And so I can remember seeing Dominique Dawes, who was an Olympic gymnast, Mm. competing. And she was, I saw her and I saw me. I saw her and I realized that People that look like us can be elegant, can be graceful, can fly high, can be gymnast. And that's Mm. why I continued on. She was my representation. And so it was possible because she was doing it. She looked like me. Her hair was like mine. She had thighs like mine, you know, and I felt that if she can do what I can, because in essence, I am her and she is me. Mm-hmm. And yes. so how many other individuals in the violin making community have felt like there's no space for me because I don't see anybody else like me in those spaces? Yeah, yeah. And so if anything else, it's really just representation to let an individuals know if this mm-hmm. is what mm-hmm. they want to do in this field or in any field, because I'm not championing violin making, I'm championing in creating space or making your own space for something that you want to do that no one else Mm -hmm. who looks like you is currently doing it. That's the message for me. So it could be violin making, it could be rugby, it could be ballet, it could be whatever. Hmm. Yeah. Amazing. Okay, cool. You've (laughs) sort of like gone into the thing that I wanted to ask about next, which is the connection between like identity-based things, the connection from that to where we start at the very beginning of the conversation, like I am before all descriptors, right? What I'm hearing is this is larger than like, hello, I'm a black female Luffier. It's larger than that specific thing. As you were just saying, can you tell me more about the scope of this? Like, what does this mean universally? You in this space, taking this opportunity, standing in this path, knowing that while these things are true because of certain things that are true about you, your I am-ness is much larger than that. Can you talk more about just all of that? Yeah, I feel like what I'm doing is bringing gifts of hope and inspiration because that's what I've been receiving back from messages on Instagram and Facebook and email. And so I feel like that's really what it is. It just happens to be violin making as a platform strategically, right? Because it's getting attention Mm -hmm. because... On record, there has been no one else who's looked like me that's been doing it on record. I don't believe that it hasn't been, but it just hasn't been placed on record. And so to be in a space where I can represent such a large part of the world, and because Black individuals Mm -hmm. have been a part of music for forever. And so it's a part of also our DNA as well. (laughs) And so it's just crazy to think about. So important these individuals not making instruments, especially considering American history. And so Mm -hmm. I want people to know that they can do it because people have been around to show me that I can do it too if I wanted to and I can look different and I can start later in life after a whole career and I can still succeed if that's what I want to do. That's really what it's about for me. So it's so magical to be able to make these instruments, but I believe that I'm making instruments, but I'm also, I was saying this somewhere else, building tables for individuals who look like me. Literally, I built tables this year (laughs) for individuals who look like me to sit at. And 
Hmm. Just to continue, like we don't have to sit at these tables that are already established either. A lot of people want to be accepted into spaces where they're actually not going to be accepted. They're going to be discriminated against because we're female. We're going to be discriminated against because yeah. we're black, because we haven't been formally trained because of all these different reasons, you know, yeah. and you know, it's okay. We can create space within the space to be able to thrive and to also invite other people to come in so they can thrive too. And yeah. that's the mission. Totally. totally. I'm actually tearing up at the <laughs> expression and also the metaphor of like building a table for yourself and for everyone else who's just waiting for a seat. Like that's, I'm so excited. I think two of our close friends who we've interviewed on our podcast, one is one of the first black female CEOs, president and CEOs of in the Fortune 1000. And she talks about all the time about how someone like the first black billionaire invited her into a room and invited her to speak because they only invited at that meeting, there were only white old men. And he was like, y'all, you knew who was coming, right? Like, there is no representation here. So we're going to have Lisa Mm -hmm. lead this meeting. Mm -hmm. Lisa, come on. And she was like, what are you doing? But (laughs) this was earlier in her career. But so she's so cognizant. And also Maisha, another episode, she's an anthropologist, forensic anthropologist, and there are like less than like point oh five like 0.5 percent of anthropologists in the world are black females Mm -hmm. so how do you tell the story how do you gain representation so i'm I'm kind of noting all these different incredible women who are are we're fortunate to be friends really close friends with my question to you is given that how do you stay inspired in this space when there aren't a lot of peers that kind of look like you how do you stay inspired how do you stay creative like what are you doing to kind of breathe new life into this industry, into this arena? Yeah, it can be challenging because you want a community of your peers in some way. And so whether that be black, whether that be female. And so thankfully I have been connecting with other females in Luthery who have kind of my same thought process and there are some individuals like, okay, so it's white male dominated and it has been for a long time, but there are so many talented women out here making. However, they're underneath the thumb of these older mm-hmm. white individuals. And so uh, <laughs> for me, I'm just like, where are all the women? You know, why aren't we rising up? You have 15 years mm-hmm. in the industry. You work on $100,000 instruments. Like mm-hmm. you've got all of the stars. What's going on? And what I realized is that some of them still want a seat at the table. Mm-hmm. And so what I love about me is I don't care about their table. So I'm going to say whatever it is I want to say. I don't care if they exclude me. I don't want to be a part of their tribe anyway. And I think Mm -hmm. that in some small way, perhaps that has given inspired confidence and some other people would be like, you know what? I'm taking ownership of this. I'm going to start my own home shop if that's where I need to start. I'm going to re-educate myself. I'm going to seek this. I'm going to seek that. Because a lot of us, we subconsciously, we really want to be a part of a community who doesn't want us there. And so we're doing all these things, you know, we're shutting up, we're sitting down, we're not speaking up for ourselves, we're accepting lower wages, we're accepting, and it's just bull. And I'm just like, you know what, why are you doing that? Mm. So I can come in and say, why the heck are you doing that? You are so talented, you are so capable, 
And I think that in a small way, it's kind of been like, you know, the start of something, the start of us mouthy women saying, look, we don't have to put up with that. You know, we can support ourselves. We can band together. And I've seen it. And so that's really what keeps me motivated. And individuals who come into my space and say things like, you know, I had one guy say, you know, I'm a white male and I don't like what's going on. What can I do? You know, stuff like that Mm -hmm. is just amazing because sometimes we don't know, like, we look like what the system is and we're thinking, I don't want to be this savior coming out, but, you know, I want things to change as well. I see yeah. where it's mm-hmm. going. I see how it's been. How can I help? And that really motivates me that yeah. there are people out there who thought it, but aren't as vocal as saying it. And so now the conversation, I don't know if it has started before, but I'm having a lot of conversations with people who are to themselves maybe and in private spaces saying the same things that I'm saying and wanting to see the change that I'm talking Mm -hmm. about. Hey friends, if you are feeling as excited as we are listening to Amanda's story and vision for change, we have a hunch that it's the aliveness inside of her that's reminding you of your own. We all possess our own unique sense and expression of aliveness. And if you're interested in exploring that for yourself, then we'd love to have you here on the podcast as a guest. Simply head over to eha.party, fill out a quick form, and then we'll be in touch if it feels aligning. And if someone else comes to mind who you'd love to hear on the podcast, send us your ideas. We'd love to hear them. Again, just go to eha.party, fill out the form, and we'll be in touch. Now, back to the conversation. Okay, so making sure I'm hearing this right, like there's, you've revealed this maybe network isn't exactly the right word, but like there are women already involved, there are people already thinking about this and you're sort of the spark that sets it off sort of, is that right? I don't know if I'm the spark, but I had been thinking about women coming together for a bit. And I was like, where are the women? Here we have a publication called The Nashville Scene and there was a luthier in New York who saw it. We connected because we both dance salsa, which is a Latin dance, and we both are in instruments. And so she reached out to me and we were talking and I was just asking her, I was like, where are the women supporting women? I have no issues with men wanting to support women in a healthy way. Mm -hmm. But then I heard the stories where that's not happening as well. And so I'm thinking we have these capable women. Where is the community? Like I like community. Where are the individuals who are helping each other in the way that we can right now? And Mm -hmm. we were having these conversations back and forth. And I don't know if she was kind of planning to kind of start this fellowship, but Not long after that, she emailed me and she was like, I'm sending you an email. (laughs) And she's such a dope human being. She's got all the accolades. And she started a fellowship program called Women in Luthery. We're on Instagram. And it's a program Mm -hmm. where she is connecting mentees to mentors, newbies to people who have been in the industry who are female, Mm -hmm. and doing her best to create these networks. That's how I went to Italy. It's a part of that program to connect women with women and to women supporting women for women by women. I'm like, women, women, women. I was like, yes. I was like, are you in my head? I was like, are you in my head when she emailed me this? Because I thought, this is what I'm talking about. This is what I've been wanting to see since after about six months I arrived. And now you're presenting it. She's the right one. She knows all the people. She's, she's brilliant. And so it's, it's beautiful that we connected and, that maybe I had a part in her go ahead and, and just doing it, like getting sick and tired of all the bull and going for it. 
Yes, 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 yes. What has that kind of been like looking like and feeling like in this kind of like organism that's growing and gaining momentum? Where do you see your role in it? Actually, okay. So way earlier when you're talking about the job you had at the Opry, you said that you were looking to expand as much as possible there. Where are you expanding right now? If I, I think that's what you're getting yeah, at. Yeah, totally. Where's your leading edge? Where's the expansion happening for Amanda Ewing right now? Oh, there's so much expansion. I guess I'll just speak mm. to Luther. I feel like I have more purpose. I mean, I feel like impact, mm-hmm. you know, when I was at the hotel, I was like, what am I contributing to the world that's going to make it a better place? You know, mm-hmm. I'm having one-on-one interactions with human beings. And I know that, you know, the small ripples do count, but I just felt that there was something else, you know, there was, mm-hmm. okay. there was just something else that I can be involved in to have a greater impact that I want to leave a greater impact. And so with Luthery, it, for me, what I want to create is a safe place for people of color because we don't have that. And so I'm seeking out individuals, mm-hmm. I'm searching for, I'm telling people, if you see a black face, send me their name because I want them to know that they have somebody who's doing the same thing that they're doing that they can relate to. Because oftentimes you could be in a room full of people who culturally are so disconnected, don't understand what it looks like to Mm -hmm. be a black face in a white environment. They really don't get it. You can't Mm -hmm. talk to them about it because the perspective is not there. And so the things that we're going to experience, they won't experience. And so I want to create a safe space for individuals who look like me to thrive. I don't want this to be kind of like a one and done. I want this to be something that continues to grow and expand. And so in order to do that, we got to know about Mm -hmm. each other. We got to support each other. We got to encourage each other. And I want to create that mentality because I, what I found a little bit in the industry is that it's competitive. And so there may not be Mm -hmm. a deliberate opportunity to really not just be colleagues, but have a, be friends as well and understand that there's enough room for everyone. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of people on this earth and we all can participate. And so with new individuals coming in, I want to plant that seed immediately and let them know that, look, this doesn't have to be a competition. Mm -hmm. It doesn't, we can all work together and we can all thrive in doing the same thing. We can all work together because people who may resonate and come to me or be different than people who resonate and come to you. And there's enough space for us all. And I want to plant those seeds immediately because right now in the industry, what I'm seeing from my short time there is that there's not space for everybody and I've got to be number one. And I just, Mm -hmm. I don't subscribe to that. Mm -hmm. Got it. It's extremely clear that you have a vision. That's extremely clear. Is that something that you like that has been building for a long time? Like you talked earlier about your history in gymnastics and how Hmm. like you were the only one who looked like you at that time. Also has this like, I have a vision for building community, not just my own, but all the communities. Like, is that something that's been growing for a long time? Did you feel that back in the gymnastics era or is that something that's new and present here for the first time in this Luthier chapter? I definitely felt the absence of it. So I would say that maybe I was too young and perhaps afraid to Hmm. do what I'm doing now in this way. But when I was a gymnast years ago, I was aware that it's only me out here. It's only me in these competitions. It's only me in this gym. And so Mm -hmm. we are the sum of our experiences. And I believe that all the things that I've gone through has brought me to this point to where it's like the volcano is erupting. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes, Because now I can look back and it's like, 
yeah, when I was taking violin, it was just me. You know, when I was a gymnast, it was just me. Mm-hmm. The ballet studio, it was just me or me and one other person. Yeah. Even though when I went to college, I went to an all white Christian college, just me in the class. And so mm-hmm. it's time mm-hmm. out for just me. You know, I'm, I'm over the just me mm-hmm. in these spaces. And I'm sure that other people want to do some of the things that I'm doing as well. And maybe perhaps the only thing that's standing in between them and doing it is seeing someone else doing it. It, Maybe it's just that simple. Mm -hmm. So just to have another human being doing it could be enough for one person to say, well, well, then I can do it too. And if a person Mm -hmm. says, well, I can do it too, just from seeing what I'm doing, that's all that matters. They don't have to do what I'm doing, but whatever is, I can do it, whatever there it is. It's whatever there it is. Totally. I'm not a oh, champion this... for violin making. It's whatever there it is. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I'm feeling a direct connection again to the beginning of this conversation where you said like, I am full stop. Like it's what you're mm-hmm. describing. I feel extremely sure is the future, right? Mm-hmm. Where the thing that wants to come, come forward from us does. And we let that happen in the community and the communities form around natural alignment, not out of like trying to escape from some other system, but like creating systems that feel at home to ourselves. I love what you were saying about how, like, I don't want to be in that community. I want to make one that feels, I'm paraphrasing. So let me know if this doesn't fit. It's not that I want to join this other community. It's that I want to make one that feels like my own. Mm-hmm. And you want to make space for other people to do that too, or not make space because space is a birthright, I think, but make sure that people have the example, if I need to see one, that they can go and do that for themselves and whatever the thing is. I'm so excited that this is like so much bigger than like any specific identity or expression or job or, mm. or, or anything else. But wow, I'm so pumped. You know, <laughs> I've been thinking about just the maybe loneliness that you're talking about, like the I've it's just been me. I'm connecting it to kind of just a little, little bit about my experience, like gay fat kid growing up, Latino. And now I'm partnering with my husband in creating Lightword, our company, and not a lot of people are doing business the way we are. And sometimes for me, it feels lonely. Like I'm creative and I have ideas, but like you said, like there aren't a lot of other people doing this in the traditional like tech or creative business, like where health is like number one priority for our team. And like, we have a small team of 10 and everyone's like actively training to like first and foremost, like understand their own agency and freedom to be healthy and to do what they want to do. And because when you go into a work environment, it's like, nope, I'm just getting rid of all of my humanity, basically, and just doing a task, Mm -hmm. historically, at least. Mm. So sometimes I have felt lonely and like, okay, I'm a visionary, but like sometimes that lack of kind of seeing other people sometimes hinders my creativity because I am, we are kind of creating this. And luckily like he has a lot of visions and I do too, but like, so I'm connecting this back to your experience. How do you stay inspired, creative, joyful? It's kind of like what I asked earlier. You you kind of look to other women, but like internally, what drives your creativity? What drives your joy now? Where does it come from? How do you cultivate it? How do you practice it? Does that make sense? It does. You know, one of the things, if I'm not feeling inspired, then I sit in it. 
I don't feel mm. like I have to feel inspired all the freaking time. I don't have to be happy all the time. I don't have to be joyful yeah. all the time. You know, and when I'm not that way, I'm usually in my little cave because there's a lot of negativity in the world and I don't want to add to it, but I also want to be fully human. Mm-hmm. And so when I know yeah, I'm going yeah. through those phases, I allow it. Why? Because they're relevatory. It could reveal something mm. to me that I need to know. And so I don't try to, you know, the toxic positivity that thing is going around. I don't try to pretend and try to convince myself that what I'm experiencing is not what I'm experiencing. Maybe I'm not inspired. Mm -hmm. Maybe I'm really freaking tired. You know, maybe I wish that there was more individuals out there who felt the way that I felt and we could kind of band together right now. And maybe they're just not. So what recharges me are the simple things. This recharges me. My candles, candles, love my it. kids, Beautiful. just reading books, listening to motivational speakers, eating great food, salsa dancing, other things. Inspiration is inspiration. And so it doesn't have to be what inspires mm-hmm. me in Luthery, you know, it could be totally unrelated to that, sure. but if I feel mm-hmm. ignited and plugged in and excited about something else, it's going to sprinkle over into everything else I'm doing in life. So yeah, there is a lot of self-care. Mm-hmm. There is an obscene amount of personal time because I need <laughs> personal time, <laughs> yeah. you know, weekend trips, the ocean, being in nature, stuff like that. So when I feel like I need to unplug, because we can't always be leaned in, right? I was thinking to myself, you know, because there was Mm. a big leaning in movement. Mm. I was like, well, I'm about to lean out. I'm going to lean out whenever I need to lean out because I don't (laughs) have to be leaned in all the time. You know, I need to be relaxed. I need to be recharged. I understand that that really comes from me. I have to be self-sustainable. And so even Mm. though I am influenced by others, I'm inspired by others, but I don't rely on it. I really have to understand Mm -hmm. how I can continue to inspire myself. And a lot of my self-inspiration just comes from keep going, you know, the courage to keep going. I try to just take stock of what I've been through already. And sometimes I used to write it down, like kind of the accomplishments. I have a little jar over there when something just amazing happens or or perhaps I expanded my comfort zone. Mm-hmm. I'll jot it down and then I'll read them a little bit later because it's like, wow, you know, that was scary, but I did that. So I really try to inspire myself yeah. <laughs> because sometimes I need to have a sustainable self-inspiration and then everything else is really just everything else. But my own ground has to be pretty solid on my own, I feel, because things around us change and I can't control that. I'm better equipped on controlling how I process it. So Mm -hmm. I try to make sure that I'm okay. I know myself the best. I do those things that I need to do to take care of myself. I eat really well. I sleep as best as I can. I pep talk myself all the time. I listen to Kid President. He has an amazing pep talk video on YouTube. I was just listening to that the other day. And I keep it pushing. I keep it pushing because I realize it's so much bigger than me. And I would love to see the fruits of my labor. And I've already seen them. And so that's motivating too. Just seeing individuals who look like me. There's four that I have interviews with too. I'm going to be like y'all. And just post them on my Instagram, let people know that they're out there doing it, encouraging them. And so all of that for me is motivating and inspiring. Still tiring, but Mm. definitely still motivating and inspiring. Mm. Hmm. Yeah, you were talking about the lean in versus lean out, LOL. (laughs) 
Isn't that a song? Anyways. <laughs> yeah, lean back. I think sometimes with artists specifically, like we're always creating, we're always kind of like ingesting the world in a way that's kind of processing it in a creative way that'll inspire us to create something. And I think that it's really brilliant that you're like, nope, I'm going to lean out because I can't. Because honestly, I'm the same way. I'm like, I'm a creator and I can't be creating all the time. I need to ingest and enjoy and just be and not think, especially with the type of work that we do and the company that we're building. You talked about Kid President. You talked about Tony Robbins, you know, I'm Not Your Guru, which I watched too. It's super dope. I loved <laughs> it. It is dope. So are you a person that likes to stay connected to inspiring kind of content as a way to ground yourself? I'm drawn to it for sure. I love Iyanla Van Zandt. I mean, she's like an oracle. She's amazingly talented, intuitive, smart. And sometimes, you know, mm-hmm. when we get and stay inside our, our own heads, stay inside there, and we start creating these stories that aren't true, it's really nice to have people with a lot of experience to kind of shed some light on some of the things that you're going through, especially when you don't have access to people who may be equipped to do that near you. Mm-hmm. I'm thankful that I do have a couple of people, but I, I love perspectives and I love seeing things differently. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that comes from whomever. And so, yeah, yeah when yeah. I connect with someone through the internet, through a video, I definitely continue to watch. And and usually I, I'm a, in a state of allowance. So things will come into my space. I really don't have to seek out much. So I am not your yeah, guru, yeah. just came into my space. Someone handed me a book about Ayala Van Zant that came into my space. Mm-hmm. Other things come into my space as I'm needed. So I don't have to really think about it. But when things come into my space, I've learned over time, it's meaningful. So I do take it mm-hmm. seriously and I try to determine what is it that this is talking to with in relation to what I have going on? Because it's meaningful. It always is. My therapist is the world, so to speak. You know, when I'm in need of something, that vibrational energy (laughs) goes out and the answer comes back eventually. So, yeah, I'm drawn to inspirational people, expansive thinkers for sure. I love that. What's coming into your awareness space, mind, heart right now? that is kind of moving you? One of the things that's very important and I find myself kind of here and I'm learning from it is that we have to be ready so we don't have to get ready. And so I want to always put myself in a position. I can drag my feet just a little bit, just a little bit about things and things are so ever changing, you know, especially with the pandemic happening. And so Mm -hmm. I'm thankful right now that I have, I feel like I have a very clear path on where I'm going. And so with some of these experiences Mm -hmm. that I've had as of late and knowing that not everybody, unfortunately, is not on your side. And it's like we have a responsibility to ourselves and I'm taking more responsibility to co-creating my own life, not in a closed door type of way, in an open door. Sure. Allowing people still into my space, but realizing that I'm co-pilot, universe, God's pilot, and it's really a team effort between yep. us two. We'll have people move in and out of our experience along the way, but really taking ownership for that for myself. Mm-hmm. And so that's really challenging because that equals mm-hmm. a lot of work needs to be done. But it's allowing mm-hmm. me to change gears. It's allowing me to fully embrace that that there's still work to be done and that's okay. It won't always feel like this. It feels like this now. There are breaks along the way, but 
I'm starting to understand more that I have a huge call and I'm starting to submit more and more and more to it and take responsibility and ownership of how I want yeah. to show up in the world and how I want to be remembered. And it's really on me. Mm. My legacy is on me. Mm. <laughs> I'm struck by the, like the pairing of on one hand submission to the call on the other hand, the exercising of agency and choice, like both of those things together. Yeah. I've been excited this whole time. I'm always excited now. <laughs> As we draw to the close here, I was curious. You've just come from from Florence for a Luthery thing. I've been wanting to ask this question for the last ten minutes, and so I'm just going to here. <laughs> Is there a specific like sensory experience that you can recreate for us just verbally here, whether it's in a shop or just out in the country, or is there a sensory moment that you remember that you can describe for us here? Yeah, there's a lot of them, but I will mention one, you know, so I got to go to Cremona. So I was in Florence, but I traveled to Pisa and I traveled to Cremona and I traveled to Rome. I've never really felt connected to these old makers in the violin world. Like they're really worshipped and I'm not so into that. (laughs) I mean, I am thankful (laughs) for the contribution that they left. However, many people have come after that, brilliant individuals. And I, so I think a lot of people are like stuck into trying to decode and replicate and duplicate something that mm. has been done so sure. a long time ago. I don't see the art in that. That's another story. But when I went to Cremona and I was just walking the streets. And so the streets are, they're not paved like they are here in the United States. They're like stone. So I don't know how many times I've tripped, but I tripped a lot walking through the streets. <laughs> I walk through the streets for hours and hours and hours. And it was at that moment where I started to ask for the guidance of the makers in the past, because they also walked those same streets 500 years ago. And so I was like, yeah. I couldn't believe I was there. This is another one of those things. I was like, what the hell are you doing? Like, how did you even get here, Amanda? Like, you're all the way in Italy. <laughs> you had like less than two months to plan. It all worked out. And now you're walking the streets, mm-hmm. the same streets that these old makers walked, these old makers that are worshipped. Now you walk the streets. And so because of how they're kind of worshipped, I kind of was like, I'm not going to worship you. I'm going to do my own thing, you know, and I created maybe a negative idea of them. But when I was walking the streets, I kind of reframed my feelings toward these old makers. Right. And really just started to see them as just like me. They're just like me and something that Mm -hmm. they wanted to pursue. They were snotty nosed and unsure, just like I am. And so I asked if there was anything that I should know, you know, if there's anything that can be deposited into my spirit from your spirits, because I believe that, you know, Mm. they lived and they died there. So there's part of their spirits are still there. I just graciously Mm. asked for that. (laughs) And it was so beautiful Mm. to see these hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of year old buildings and year old streets. And, and it was just the perfect opportunity to really be more, submissive came to mind I'm not really sure why maybe just more understanding Mm. more tolerance Mm. more more of whatever I needed to be more of at the time and so I gained more respect in that area I just 
felt that the space was so welcoming. It was almost like I was supposed to be there at that time. Why am I so mad at these individuals? And I really think yeah. it's just because of what other people have, how they have deified them. And I think mm. they're human beings too. I was just like, now I'm not going to deify you. You're not my God. But then when I mm. got there, it felt like I was supposed to be there. It felt like an unspoken welcome. And I thought, there's no reason for me to really be like that anymore. Yeah. Wow. So I had more reverence. I really did. And I just thought, thank you. You know, thank you for having the courage to continue to create something that maintained for all these years. And now all these people are wanting to do it, including me. Thank yeah. you. And thank you for an opportunity to shed light on the discrimination in this field. Thank you for that. Mm-hmm. And so I just felt really thankful at that moment in that space, just walking around. My feet were hurting. I was falling all over the place. But I was really thankful because without some of these makers, perhaps we wouldn't be here. And without that, perhaps I wouldn't be able to shed a light yeah, in kind of the darkness that is in the industry. Yeah. Wow. Jeez. <laughs> There's a full circle aspect to that, which it, like the undeniable oneness in everything mm-hmm. and the fact that you are part of the next step of part of the community expressing itself and making a place for it. And yet you are finding a, like a natural connection and empathy, empathy towards and acceptance of mm-hmm. like individuals who, who started this whole thing rolling, but also like if we're going by skin color are part of the other side of the thing. And the fact that all of this, what I'm hearing, like it's all still one thing and mm-hmm. Am I, am I hearing this right? Is that how it feels to you? How does it feel? Yeah. I mean, it feels like that's the way it should be. Mm. Yeah. It feels like that's the way it should be. And perhaps that's the way it was intended. And things just change mm-hmm. over time. And perhaps now it's time for it to change again. Yeah. Because we don't yeah. know what they were thinking, right? Like, oh, totally. I don't, we don't yeah. have their like, personal journals. They have journals of the makings and the the dimensions of the instrument and all this, but not really on a personal level. We don't know who these people are. And maybe it was something to really bring individuals together. And maybe it's kind of transformed sure. out of that. And perhaps it's time for it to kind of motion back into community yeah. Yeah. Wow. because it brings people together, right? Music brings people together. These instruments are, it's so connected from this connected to the earth because of the trees. It's musically connected, which is a universal language. Music brings in all types of people together. And so there mm-hmm. is a sense of oneness there. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And I think it should feel more like that as we're kind of moving through different shops in different areas of it and it doesn't and it's not just me i've talked to people it doesn't feel that way you know people are saying Mm -hmm. it so it's a transformative time i believe and i'm super excited about the transformation what a wonderful note to close on like the the anticipation and the vision of and and all of it amanda thank you so so much for all of this. We have two questions in closing. And the first one is, what does an empowered Amanda Ewing look like and feel like? You know, she can look a hot mess one day and she can look like Beyonce the next day. You know, sometimes I think empowerment is is very silent and sometimes it can be very mm-hmm. bold. Yeah. Whatever mm-hmm. it looks like, I'm going to embrace it. 
yeah, the end. <laughs> a hot mess or Beyonce. That's what an empowered Amanda looks like sometimes. She's still empowered either way. <laughs> I love that. I resonate with that too. Thank you for saying that. Finally, what do you know for sure? Hmm. What I know for sure is life is better in a joyous pursuit. I mean, it really doesn't matter what we're doing as long as we're doing it with joy and we have joy. Like I tell that to my kids all the time. Like I think one of my kids wants to be a butterfly. I'm like, whatever brings you joy, right? (laughs) One of them wants to be an animator, whatever brings you joy. My daughter switches every week, whatever brings you joy. Do that. And that doesn't mean that that's what you're going to do forever. If you want to change in five years, do that. If you want to change in two days, do that. It's just joy because it then it brings more joy to you. Then you have more joy filled in your cup so you can splatter joy on other people because we need it in this world, right? <laughs> Girl, yes. Wow. First, you need to uh, be our friend and come over because we have all these conversations. We have conversations like this all the time. It's our like truly this one is, of our life. This is our joy. This yeah. is our joy and it's our mission to stay in this joy. I mean, like you said, there are going to be quiet moments and shitty moments, but like you can still feel empowered. And also it's the pursuit of joy is super, super, I'm so happy. super powerful. Secondly, we're going to commission a violin for me one day and <laughs> hang it up in our house and maybe play it because we're musicians too. <laughs> yeah. Amanda, you're a gem of a human, a gem of a soul. So excited that you had a conversation with us. Thank you so much for such an epic conversation that literally went by like a blink of an eye. Um, It's already been an hour. It's so wild. So thank you so much, Isaac. You You don't, I mean, you don't need need me to say any of this, but like, go be you. You're amazing. Thank you. Thank thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you very much. Bye. Y'all, the whole point of everything is to open up ourselves in all the fullness that we're made for, and then to create, create, create with everything that is real and true and bright. That's the work of a life. That's what we're working on. And you're here because you feel that for yourself, too. And we believe in you completely. And hey, if you want to take a deeper dive, then head over to Apple Podcasts and sign up for a subscription, giving you access to exclusive bonus content. We've recorded a companion episode where we digest the themes of this week's conversation and swap art recommendations, sharing what's giving us life at the moment. It's a lot of fun. We've also put together a free downloadable you'll find at empoweredhumanacademy.com with a table question, journal prompt, and action step to bring the energy of today's episode home to your own life. And if you're resonating with the exploration that we're doing here, if these interviews have meant something to you, then we'd love for you to leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps us spread the word and get these episodes out to more people. Thank you for being here, for choosing to spend some time with us. Now get out there and do something that feels exactly like you, and we'll do the same. And for us, that includes bringing you the next conversation. Until then, stay close to your heart, to your breath, and to your power. Have an amazing, amazing day.